welcome to Great Minds. And our guest today is the absolute dynamo that is Stacy Fetter. She is the CMO of Hudson Yards and has been a pivotal player in the whole rise of retail, experiential, mixed use. I promise not to try to use too many catchphrases, Stacy. I know you'll yell at me, uh, but your uh, career really traces, rises, leads where that whole business came from, where it's evolved. And we're very excited about bringing Advertising Week to Hudson Yards in the fall. So it is super timely to have you here. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I can't imagine a better compatriot in an effort like this. So it's great to be with you, Matt. Thank you. Fantastic. So Stacey, I want to start and go back a period. We're about to have the first Olympics that we've had in five years. The Tokyo Games are beginning. And I know that part of your career early, you were lucky enough to work with Olympic athletes, not only from the U.S., but from all over the world. You were a key player in the 2012 Olympic bid and actually ran some of the world championships that came to New York prior to in the lead up. That was something I also did in my career, which we'll, we'll, uh, I'll tell you about if you're interested. Um, it's interesting, though. You'll ask me because it's interesting, Stacey. It is interesting. I can't <laughs> so, wait to hear about it. So uh, you ran the world championships for archery, wrestling, and water polo, as I recall. And I wonder if you could reflect on that experience. I find there's a specialness to people in the Olympic movement and to the Olympic athletes. And that if you're exposed to that world, it sort of changes you in some ways forever. Uh, I'd love for you to reflect on that part of your career relatively early on. Sure, absolutely, thank you. And we are getting to your story about the Olympics. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think one of the underlying, I've always been really motivated by people who work hard um, and so I think the Olympics has always just been one of those things I've been enamored with early on in my life. I was, I, um, I was lucky enough to compete in the junior Olympics for swimming. And I remember being absolutely in awe of how many people were so much better than me. And so the Olympics has this, this, this sort of incredible allure to me that of people who have just really had a passion for something and worked really hard and when, um, and, and are just incredible excellent in, in what they pursue, you know, that pursuit of excellence, I think is unmatched, you know, and um, I strive to pursue excellence as well. I think, you know, New York is made for that. New Yorkers are made for that, you know, and so when I had the opportunity to work on the Olympics in what I believe is the greatest city in the world and the place that, you know, I have been somewhat um, forced to stay <laughs> in because my family is a bunch of New Yorkers, we're not allowed to leave. So we're from the Bronx originally. So, you know, we got we to we gotta stay in this area, um, but it's, I'm happy about it. But with that opportunity to work in New York and work on the Olympics in this excellent city with these people who pursue excellence, it was just like a, just a, a really consummate moment in my career. And I remember like really leaping at the opportunity. Um, and the truth is I, you know, I got to work in, you know, the Bronx in a park. Um, I got to work in Central Park. Um, and I got to transform these great urban places into being these like stunning, um, you know, Olympic competitive areas. And like, that's so once in a lifetime. And it, it sort of fits the bill for me of, you know, don't pass up those opportunities, right? Jump in, you'll, you'll swim, right? You, you know, you're not gonna sink, just push yourself and do it. And at the time, 
sort of approaching those humongous events, you know, in this humongous high profile city. I was, it was a little bit daunting, but I just kept going at it. And, and it was, it was so thrilling to be part of it and to see it all come together and they're complicated things. So I think, you know, I've got, it gave me a little tool, a tool in my toolkit to have complicated problem solving as part of my toolkit. The Olympics and, will prepare you for that. <laughs> and, and certainly dealing with so many constituencies, you know, with with complementary, but also conflicting interests. So uh, now, Stacey, what you worked there alongside Dan Doktoroff, who was the grand visionary for the 2012 bid, and he had a vision for what the games would be and what would happen on the West side. That vision ultimately did not come to fruition. Another vision by Steve Ross and his team at the related company does come to fruition. You're one of very few people who sort of knew and saw both. Yeah, it's true. What, we, what are your thoughts looking back now? What if we had won and what would have happened? How do you think it all would have played out? Oh, that's such a good question. I also have to mention, and the great Jay Kriegel, you know, he can be a part, and he was he was part of Related and the Hudson Yards Endeavor too. So um, it was a privilege and honor to work with him on both. So um, so one of the best parts of my career. So um, I, you know, you know, it's hard it's hard for me to answer that honestly, but I think, you know, I was really passionate being an athlete, you know, about the Olympic Stadium, and at the time I thought it would be, you know, the greatest thing. That New York would ever see. Um, you know, we did do a lot of thinking of, okay, what happens in non-game days and how does that work? And there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of studying of that, I remember at the time. And so now as I think about the evolution of our city and the opportunity that's been created at Hudson Yards, you know, for people to, you know, to use this completely unused hole in our fabric here in the city, you know, in our grid, if you will, and bring it to life in a multiple, like a multiple use scenario, I think that's, that has ended up in a very good place, right? To have not only the culture of the shed and the, you know, incredible offices and the, you know, really connecting the riverfront into the city because of, you know, really building out towards the, that, you know, bringing people here. Um, I, I do love, what, I love Chicago so much because I feel like they're connected to their rivers, you know, and the fact that New York has been able to sort of evolve our riverfronts. I think that's been a great advantage, which may not have happened in the same way. So I think we ended up in a, in a, in a better place, honestly, that you know, really helps enhance sort of the business attraction, the tourism attraction of New York. And that's all good for everybody that lives and works here, so. it's oh, a great uh, answer. And you have you know, the benefit of hindsight, but you're in that business. So you get it, you get it as few people do. So let's dial back a little bit further. You also had a great tenure at a company started in 1939, rebranded as the Rouse Company 1966, sold around 2004 to what was then General Growth Properties and now gone completely as part of the Brookfield Colossus, ironically your neighbor now at Hudson Yards, the Rouse Company really pioneered so much of what the business became 
not only with the South Street Seaport, but places like Faneuil Hall and Harbor Place in Baltimore. And I remember when Harbor Place opened, that was a big deal, right? We all knew about Harbor Place, Bayside in Miami. Talk about those formative years for you at the Rouse Company and what you learned there that you still carry forward today, all these years later at Related and Hudson Yards. Sure, I I would, I'd be happy to. So I really, early in my career, you know, I had this, this great sort of drive to work hard, always work hard. You know, I was very much a um, overachiever, but also I wanted to change the world. I really thought that we could, you know, I could do something different. And I I did start my career in, um, you know, anti-bias legislation and and very heavy stuff, you know, terrorism at the time. And it was a great sort of exposure to what it was like to work with government and policymakers. And it was very interesting and very hard. And I liked it, but I didn't love it. And I didn't expect that. So I got the opportunity, you know, via an old school New York Times ad that I answered to go work at the South Street Seaport. And again, it was another job where they'll give you as much as you're going to take, right? Like the more I wanted to learn, the more I did learn. And over the years, you know, what was so, I think, thrilling about working at the the seaport is that you could see the fruits of your labor. You, you know, you could help the local fish guy because you drove traffic and you helped influence sales in their restaurant. Like you could help the local, you know, you know, the shops owner, the boutique owner, and you could really make a difference in these people's lives, you know, and you could really recast this incredible location in Manhattan um, if you just were willing to not only like be on a road to yes, right? Just be like, we're going to get this done. We're definitely going to get this done. You know, not be held back, you know, and have an ability to invent. So I, I remember my old boss, you know, we had this idea that we should really, we should have more entertainment on the 11, 11 block area of what South Street Seaport is and was. And he said, hey, could you get on a plane? And, I, you know, I think maybe we should go find some street performers from Key West. And I think you can convince them to come up this summer to New York and do a, a street performer thing. And so not only did I like go down to Key West and shake hands, meet all the street performers and ask them to you know, join us for this epic summer, we ended up doing a whole talent show and a whole thing and you know, creating it where you had this like busker competition and we made a whole thing about it and we were able to invent that and just make that new day happen and drive traffic and drive sales and drive energy to this very um, you know, important place in New York. And the seaport isn't, you know, it could be very, at the time, it could be very dead. And so to bring it back to life was like such an honor and so awesome. I also learned to, at that point, work with third-party partners that if you create great brands and great IPs and great, you know, concerts or, you know, whatever it may be, people will get involved with you and help you pay for it sometimes if it works for them too. If it's the right audience and the right partnership and you're, a true collaborator, you can get incredible things done. So I would say it's shaped me totally because I still believe that, you know, take on, take on as much as you can um, because, you know, being busy is fun and learning is fun. You know, inventing is so rewarding, especially if you execute, which you got to execute if you invent. 
you know, and that collaboration is key. And, you know, I, some of those relationships I had back then, most of them I have today because, you know, we were really trying to work together to do something great. And that, you know, that's unmatched. So um, I feel really honored to have had that opportunity, not only to work in New York, but then work, you know, in other locations to bring that point of view, because, um, you know, I think a lot of people like working with each other if we can produce things that are truly unique and great. So it was really fun. So New York is its own sort of beast. Talk about some of the stuff that you did in some smaller markets, not small by any stretch, but places like Boston and Miami and Baltimore. And, you know, you got to touch those projects for Rouse and what might be different about working in a place that's not Broadway, that kind of surprised you or helped you or maybe a mistake that you made that you learned from answer any way you like. <laughs> well, to be very honest, um, I, I, until I went to work in those markets, I had no idea what a consummate bull and China shop New Yorker I am. Like, and it, you know, I think like, I'm just, you know, wow, let's get it done. We're going to do it. It's going to be great. Let's figure it out. What's the problems with the business? How can we fix it? Like I came in pretty strong and one, and one of the, you know, <laughs> one of the, uh, I guess, bad parts of my parents saying you can't leave this area um, is that I wasn't, you know, I did some living in international places like Costa Rica early in my life, you know, in my post-college years, but I I'd never worked in other markets. So to be honest, I had to learn to just take it down a couple of notches and come in and listen a lot, which is also an incredibly valuable. I mean, listening is one of the best tools that, that I think, you know, people coming up in their career could take a cue from. Listen to the people in the market, what they need, what will make a difference, you know, what they like, what they love, how they work, you know, and get a really good education. Do your homework, like, and get in deep and, and understand that market as much as you can before you start to try to launch things. And I did learn that, you know, very quickly. Um, and once, you know, once I listened a lot and it got a good feel, you know, I started to introduce programs that were better for those markets, you know, that were more on point, that were more, you know, that people not only loved, but they really engaged in and then amplified on their own, you know, merit and wanted to be a part of, you know, but that was definitely a, a moment for me to reflect. <laughs> Just shut up, Fetter. <laughs> That's a great, great answer. So, Stacey, you have a uh, sort of a real niche interesting reputation. When people talk about you, what they say is, Stacy knows how to take something from a concept and turn it into what, you know, by any stretch is a truly dynamic destination. It's one thing to have an idea or to be given a, a platform, a stage, whatever you want to call it. Um, and just to give scale and scope, Hudson Yards is about 10 times the size of the South Street Seaport. So you are now, you know, overseeing an awfully big stage. But what I notice about you is there's also this real gritty entrepreneurial spirit. And I'm wondering if those Bronx roots played a role in creating that gritty entrepreneurial spirit. And I'd love to hear about, you know, your thoughts on, you know, what it was like growing up in the Bronx, how that shaped you. And I'm guessing that you also worked as a kid 
and gain some experience, you know, at a very young age, which is something that I did growing up in Queens. You oh well, first of all, you always want to go grocery shopping with me because I can bag a grocery bag like you wouldn't believe. I mean, I was I spent a lot of years bagging groceries. So, <laughs> so yeah. Okay. <yes>. Okay. <laughs> you know, the produce stays with the produce, you know. <laughs> the cold stays with the cold, you know. There's a, there's an art. Um, and God forbid anyone tries to bag my groceries today, I get like, I'm like, no, no, I can do it. <laughs> so, oh, that's great. <laughs> so I think, you know, there's like a, you know, of course, I think, and, and thank you for those extraordinary compliments. I so appreciate it. It's, um, you know, it's, I think, I think if you, you know, one of the things I would say is that early on, you know, being a you know daughter and a granddaughter of entrepreneurs, you know my my grandparents owned shops in the Bronx on Jerome Avenue, and they, my you know my parents were self-made, and you know everyone sort of you know liked to work hard, but also liked to be with each other, and you know I think you know orphans in New York, my grandma was, and so that sort of immigrant nature of working you know working as hard as you can to to get where you wanted to be and. You know, and, and I have to say there was, you know, there was a lot of men in my life rooting for me. My dad, I have two brothers. My dad would say, beat those boys. Come on, you can do it. You know, there was, there was still a lot of, you know, daughters cleaning the kitchen with mom, you know, um, and having sort of a different, but never allowed to mow the lawn. Like those kinds of things when we, we moved from the Bronx to New Jersey, actually Bronx, Queens, New Jersey, you know, there was this thing about, you know, women's responsibilities, even young girls and men's. And I'd say that, you know, my family, encourage and especially my gr grandmother she encouraged me to sort of break that norm and not really listen to it and, and do you know do what I what I wanted to do and you know to have that thirst for life that you know I saw in them and sort of this oh again always this desire to learn and to and I think you know as I approach um different projects and have this incredible love and passion for urban places that's just in my soul you know um I look at it quite differently um, in order to be able to like figure out, you know, like how do we make it better? How do we make it different? How do we get it there? How do we work together? Who, you know, I do, I break it down after all these years much quicker than I used to, obviously, because I've just, I've, I've really, I've, I've that combination of collaboration, entrepreneur spirit, and, you know, inventing and hard work, right? Like it just, you know, I, I've been able to now have this sort of knack of, um, thinking about things quite differently than a lot of the people I work with on a daily basis. And that it provides, um, it's really fun because, you know, you sort of, you don't realize it, you know, I, in a lot of ways I grew up, you know, and now as I'm looking down 50 years old, I'm like, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I can't believe how much I know and, and how much I can really tackle things and think about things differently and what my reference set is. And I have so much, you know, gratitude to, my parents early on and throughout my life just to instill this thing of just try it. You can hate it, but just try it. If you don't know, you'll never know. And then, ugh, what's that? That's not good. Like, just go for it. Like family is better than trying it. Like, right. Of course. <laughs> you know. And like, so, you know, I think that's a real, that's, I wish, you know, I wish I saw more, uh, more people, especially the, the people coming up, get out of their heads and get into action more, you know? And I, 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 I wish I could, if I could really hope that for a lot of people, I think it really just helps you live life a little bit more clear, you know, um, and don't overthink it, just do it, just do it, just try it. 
Well, you know, you're right. You talk about the benefit of time, you know, that creates a bank of things for you to draw upon when you need them. And that really just comes with time. Uh, and I, I, I share your, your sense of that. So let's talk about an evolution that's taken place. The, what South Street Seaport was and what the Rouse Company, their vision for mixed use and what the related company have created and their vision for mixed use starting at Time Warner Center, which mm-hmm. I know you were very involved with. Um, and now at Hudson Yards, it's changed a lot. And I've heard you talk about, you know, the whole experience now that everything that you do live, what you do on your mobile phone, on the computer, on the tabloid, on the app, whatever it might be, that it all sort of mashes together now. But you have the benefit of hindsight of having worked at the old vision of (laughs) mixed use and the new vision of mixed use. Talk about that evolution and how, how it's forced you to evolve in a different way. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, I think, you know, right off the bat, I would say there used to be this very much destination mentality, um, which was not bad, but it was, you know, it was, you came here, you know, to do for the day to do whatever, right. Or, you know, it was very much sort of planned as that um, destination, you know, that people not habitual, we did not, you know, in a lot of ways, um, and not not entirely integrated into the community. I think what the it, the important part of Hudson Yards and how we we tried to think of it very early on is as a connected place, right? A place that is connected into its surrounding environment. That it is um, reflective. It could still, you know, be new and shiny, but it could still reflect, you know, community and neighborhood and you know the importance of, you know, creating that sort of place where create, you know, creative and culture and commerce, like all come together in a place that feels really energetic and that, you know, you're working in collaboration with people every day to bring things to life, you know, whether or not it be commercial tenants in the building, you know, like SAP or L'Oreal, or, you know, being cognizant of the fact that the residents, you know, want a really great, um, place for their kids to play, you know, and sort of understanding that that integration and that connection is so critical to how our urban streets thrive, you know, and reflecting that community is so important. And so I think I I do have the benefit of sort of understanding what it was like, you know, to create destinations, but when they're not thriving or not busy, you know, at all times, that, that energy, you need that energy on the streets of New York. And I think we really saw that, you know, if you saw, you know, during COVID, you know, we came back to the office last June and, you know, the, the change in the energy in the streets is so important and creating that connection and that vibe and that sort of, you know, general fun, just fun <laughs> of a place every day that people can come, you know, can, can use however they want. Um, I think is more how we approach it. So like less destination, but way more connected, you know, connected neighborhood, you know, even just to, you know, be candid, when we started on what Hudson Yards was going to be, we studied neighborhoods in New York. We went to look at like, what do people love about their neighborhoods? What do they hate? What, what do they wish they had? Safety, cleanliness, more playgrounds, more activities, more bodegas, but whatever, whatever it is, you know, more places to shop, eat, pick up, it's just so, it was so interesting. And so that helped to 
you know, be a guiding light, you know, because we needed, you know, we needed that and to understand, you know, what people, why people would come here every day and what would make them happy. And today we, we, we study that as a tremendous effort, you know, to talk to the people that live and work here and come to visit, you know, and that really represents the North Star for how we, how we are flexible in the way we approach the everyday at Hudson Yards. You know, we just, we, we try to make it better and better and we reflect what our customers want. And we didn't have that kind of, that is one of the benefits of sort of working in a place that is built on, you know, super collaboration. I, I you know, I can, I can get, you know, I can speak to people in, at different, you know, in different buildings and in different residents and, in, you know, I can speak directly to the, my consumers, which I think is very different. But the scale of it is just staggering. I mean, it is the largest private development in U.S. history. And that's an awfully big statement. In my mind, it sort of goes back. It's almost like Time Warner Center was almost like the training ground or the, you know, for Hudson Yards. Talk about that leap from that was, I guess, about give or take five some odd million square feet to Hudson Yards. I, I still remember the site. I'll date myself. You might remember the New York Coliseum. That oh, yeah. That predated Time Warner Center on that property where we used to go to the car show as kids. Um, my grandma used to take me to the other side of the Columbus Circle because there's I don't know if you remember there's a huge tent village at that Coliseum in the bad in the bad New York days yeah exactly (laughs) exactly but talk about that evolution and how Time Warner Center in a sense was uh, the training for Hudson Yards oh my god I mean it's it's funny you know I if you think about it you know when we talk about some of the of some of the driving forces you know of my career there you've been lucky you've been great at pulling out Matt so I thank you um you know this sort of philosophy to throw yourself in you won't sink you know you'll always swim you'll always swim you know that comes from the Olympics and that then that came from opening up Columbus Circle and Time Warner Center and um it you know and those were training grounds right like they for sure were um but a lot of the same sort of tactics you know applied I think the 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 major difference with Hudson Yards um was the scale and that was, you know, what started to get, oh my God, um, was just the scale of it. And, you know, I remember probably about, you know, I probably pl- started to plan the opening a year before I planned, <laughs> Columbus Circle opening was like three months before, not by choice, just, but, but you have to realize when you're developing something this massive, think about the coordination and collaboration between design construction, you know, permitting, (laughs) event planning, you know, campaign making, and, you know, all these different buildings, right? And, you know, when are different tenants going to build out their spaces and be here? And like, there is so much complication. So, um, you know, so we, we were very good at sort of, you know, knocking down and making sure that we were highly communicative with, you know, people driving those work streams. Um, But, you know, it, it, it became incredibly daunting. And I, I remember that there was, there was a lot of things that I made sure that I did that I felt that were true to the brand. And um, I also made sure that, you know, I didn't keep my eye too far away from the, I'm not gonna say horrific coordination. I'm gonna say incredible coordination <laughs> it took to sort of get us to the finish line. Because as, you know, as you're 
you're, you're coming in to, you know, open a neighborhood, if you will, like open, you know, or at least a huge public space in retail, if you will, you know, um, just the, the streets, people had never been on the streets, you know? So like, you know, we just thinking about how people were going to access and, you know, how we were going to educate very quickly and how we were going to welcome most importantly, you know, and make them feel great and excited about this moment in New York City. And that, and there were definitely a couple of pivotal, pivotal moments, you know, um, that were critical. So it was, it, we, we were on the, um, on the day we, we did the, the party, we were on the public square and there was still construction going on and still washing windows and people are walking up, you know, with their high heels. And, you know, it was, you know, we had to like negotiate with the guys who led design and construction and me, and I'm like, everybody out, <laughs> we are open, you know? And I was, I remember running, you know, in order to, you know, get this done. And, you know, it again, but I was just situated for the sort of, I had enough in my toolkit to sort of give me the ability to get that done. And I also had enough know-how over the years of knowing what I didn't want to give up because it was important. And I'll never forget on the ribbon cutting, I, again, being who, where I come from, Sesame Street was a very big deal to me. And HBO is here at Hudson Yards, but now, you know, overseas right. Sesame Street. And I was super adamant that the most iconic symbol of neighborhood in the world, and especially in New York is Big Bird. And I remember, you know, a week before, you know, being on the phone with them and, and I, by, the by the time I got, it was the hardest talent I've ever had a book. Like it, <laughs> I booked, I've, been, I've been a booker, you know, this was, this was a lot. Um, and I remember they said, oh, you know, Big Bird fell through. He's, it looks like we're not gonna be able to get him, but we have cookie. And I was like, we can't have cookie. What, how does, what cookie represents good eating not, or bad eating, eating, you know, Big Bird represents neighborhood, please, like I'm begging. And long story short, you know, through good relationships and collaborations, we got Big Bird there. And I'll like, there's Anderson Cooper, you know, and Big Bird and the team and the people who built this place and the proud moment and the workers, the choir and Alvin Ailey. And it all came together in this like incredible moment. And I, and I remember about a week before when it was all about to sort of explode, you know, um, for, you know, especially the ribbon cutting was, was challenging coming together. I said, you know, just to keep going, you know, you can do it. And um, back to Jay Kriegel, I'll never forget talking to Jay Kriegel after the big party at like two o'clock in the morning before the ribbon cutting the next day um, on the phone at like two in the morning, just trying to work it through. And I was like, this is a once in a lifetime, just get through it. We're going to get there, We're, you know? And it was the first, it was so massive that, you know, I'll never forget it, you know, after the ribbon cutting ended and I saw these lines of people sort of walk up and, you know, want to want to be there and be part of it. And all the news crews and everyone, everyone calling me that they're seeing it. I mean, I was sobbing. I, that has never happened to me. I've never been in a place where I just started, oh my God, that just happened, you know? Um, and I have a very understanding husband and great kids. So, you know, I was able to work a whole lot to get it done. <laughs> right. so. Wow. The, re the results are extraordinary. And you're right, by the way, Big Bird, who are the people in your neighborhood? That can only be Big Bird. Only can be, like, right? Yeah, no, and you're so, right. You know, and, for, you know, he, Big Bird is six years old. So when he speaks, he speaks, you know, he's six forever. So, you know, it was like interesting to script Big Bird. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a very good book, which if you don't have, I'll get for you. The Wit and Wisdom, I think, of Big Bird, I think is the book. 
and it's right up. It's a it's a great business book that you wouldn't expect. Sort of like oh remember, remember years it. ago, like Secrets of Attila the Hun was a big book for a little while. <laughs> yeah. So okay, I've never uh, heard se- of that. separate, separate. Yeah, I'm sure I'm, I may not have the title right, but I'm sure there's a book like that. Um, so you are now commanding this enormous ship. You open, give or take, Q1 of 2019, um, and give or take the end of Q1 of 2020. The whole thing grinds to a halt. So you get about a year under your belt before all the COVID shit hits the fan. Talk about grinding the machine to a halt and revving that engine back up again as you are way, way beyond the beginning of doing. I mean, I'm, I'm there all the time now. Hudson Yards is absolutely booming. Talk about that journey. So, <laughs> um, so we actually, you know, we opened all of Hudson Yards um, on March, you know, in March of 2019. And then the day we opened the edge in March of 2020, the next day we closed down. So um, it was, you know, it was really, I, I, I couldn't believe it. Honestly, I just, you know, I, and I thought it was gonna be short, right? Um, but again, like, you know, it was a reality that I had to deal with that was heartbreaking because, you know, I'd worked so many years to launch this place that was starting to, you know, really become something, you know, these things don't, you know, open up and, you know, you know, it be, they become magically amazing. Like it takes work to build a place and to, you know, study it and see other people are using it. You know, I must've, when I opened up Hudson Yards, I must've walked for two months straight Hudson Yards every morning by myself to understand it because I, I, you have to be in a place to really understand it. So, you know, the fact that I had just gotten people to use the space and start to adopt it and start to figure out how to, how to be in this place, you know, um, that was very hard, very, very hard. But I think, you know, we're, we're true to a lot of what we say. And, and I'll, I remember it was maybe two weeks into sort of this shock of what was happening you know, we got a call from Jose Andreas and we knew that, you know, they were turning Javits into a, you know, a, um, in, into a place to treat people. And again, back to sort of connected community, we, there was no place to eat, right? There, it, there was no, this was early, early, you know, 2020. So, you know, um, we launched a, um, a kitchen with Jose Andreas, um, you know, to see from, uh, feed frontline workers. Um, and we ended up raising, I think, about $3 million. We served about 90,000 meals. We had no volunteers. So we went to the related network to volunteer um, and with World Central Kitchen, who was our partner, Jose Andreas's group. And we got people in the related network to volunteer, residential and you know commercial office. A lot of them became friends and connected because it was like a crazy moment in our lives. Um, and that felt like again, back to the action oriented, that felt really good. What, you know, we had space and what we could do was try to help, you know, get food to these frontline workers and healthcare workers. And it was, it was pretty, it was unbelievable. But I, again, I don't know that I've ever had to pivot so quickly as I did in that moment uh, because I was sort of, you know, incredibly sad that we were going through this after such a long, you know, journey. And then to, to go into this place where, you know, we're having to feed people who are helping, um, you know, 
Um, but that's what we do, right? And so we did that. We got on the phone with a bunch of people. We got that done. And then I think we were very early on, on on the belief that, you know, a lot of it is our responsibility to be back because a lot of our people were back. So you can imagine the people that work in all of our buildings, uh, you know, never got to, you know, say I can't go in because they, they, you know, we still have to maintain the buildings. We still have to, you know, close the doors and open the doors. Like, so think about all the residential buildings and all the, you know, commercial, we just had, they had to show up. So we had to show up. So we, we aren't so that that was the philosophy of our entire team. We and we owed it to the local bodegas and the local, you know, restaurants to get in as early as we can and start spending money in New York. So we came back in June of last year, 2020, and we I had already, you know, after we, we did the whole, you know, feeding everyone, we closed that down and then we went immediately in to how do we approach making people feel comfortable about coming back. And how do we like sort of communicate this? So I worked again very closely with operations and development and everybody and management and started to come up with, you know, COVID response protocols and the stickers and the everything else, you know, cleanliness and safety and community and all these things. We had that up in May of last year. And, you know, by September when retail um, opened up, September 2nd, and, you know, not at full capacity, obviously, we had already had a plan to bring life back. And that was the, sort of the backyard and everything else that we're doing um, and to bring people, give people a reason to come. And so that really the biggest change, and you know, I'm honored to say that, you know, the, that it does feel like you know, we're thriving and, and there's a lot of people here. Um, we did, the, the thing that we did change is our audience shrunk from the world to New York and Tri-State. And so, you know, but the great part is that more New Yorkers love us than ever and more people from the tri-state are coming to visit us. And that's an honor for me. Like, I'm very excited because I think that the, the international audience will come back and it can only get better. But, you know, people in New York have been very thankful that we have created this backyard, you know, because a lot of pe people in these apartments in New York don't have a backyard. So we wanted them to adopt Hudson Yards as that place for them. And we really, we really worked hard at making that happen. And, and so this year we're, we're just, you know, making it better and then trying to, you know, learn from everything and stay flexible, keep moving. You know, you really have created New York's backyard. And I think it's worth just touching on what happened here is you created a community in a neighborhood in Manhattan that did not exist, you know, give or take 10 years ago. And as a New Yorker, I grew up in Bayside in Queens. And I marvel at what's happened along the waterfront in Long Island City and now Astoria. You know, there's a whole new world there that did not exist at all, you know, when I was a kid. I remember, you know, everyone talks about the Pepsi sign. And we go to a great Italian restaurant that's right behind the Pepsi sign that we really like. And but I remember when the Pepsi bottling plant was there. And yeah. when, I, when I was running the sports commission as a kid, there was a guy, Don Thomas, who was our guy at Pepsi. And our president, Don Smith, and I would go to Pepsi and have lunch. He had like, was like awful sandwiches. You know, like, <laughs> I, I, think he, I think it like maybe his wife made them. You know, it was like, I, I don't really know where they came from, but we would, we'd love to go to Pepsi and have sandwiches with Don, Don Thomas at, at the Pepsi bottling plant in Long Island City. You, you've created an entire neighborhood. You've created streets um, and none of this existed a decade ago to see it go from planning and ideas on a wall and CAD drawings 
to what is now a vibrant city within the city, that's got to be something. It is something. And I think one of the things that, you know, that I do recognize now is that, you know, a lot of my career and I think one of the, the hardest parts, I think, is that, you know, we do this live, right? We do it live. Like we don't, I can't, I, you know, <laughs> we, everything we plan and everything we do as a live audience every day. So, um, you know, and we try to keep as much of the sort of, you know, making of behind the scenes. But um, I think that's one of the craziest things that I've come to realize about my career is that this is all done sort of in a live way, right? That people are here, you know, at 7 a.m. in the Soul Psycho classes. Hi, Matt. Yeah, that's peddling away. (laughs) (laughs) And until 12 o'clock at night having drinks, you know, and then living here and and working, you know, it's just, it's pretty, pretty wild to sort of that coordination. And, you know, I also, you know, I I think that is is daunting, but I, I think one of my proudest, proudest, proudest is I have an exceptional team. And this isn't me. This isn't me. This is us, right? Like we have, you know, the, the group of people I've been lucky enough to surround myself with are original thinkers, incredible executors, and, you know, and care a lot and wanted to want people to love this place. And so um, you can't really, you know, you can't underestimate how great a great team is. They just, they're just, I'm so proud and thankful and feel really blessed to be surrounded by such, you know, like I love when they come up with great ideas and then they execute them. And I'm like, you just invented that. And it, look how happy everyone is, you know? And so it's like, it's a real, it's a real, it's it's a lot, but it's a wonderful thing. But that's that's the win of what we, we try to do at Advertising Week also. So I get it completely. You know, that opportunity that we have, and I think this is why, you know, one of the many reasons why we've gravitated towards each other, but the chance to create a picture in your head of what you want something to look like and then go out and paint that picture you know, that's a great joy. And I've heard you use that word, the word joy, you know, to describe what you do and to bring that energy, you know, to a place like Hudson Yards in what is a pretty conservative industry, right? The real estate industry, not known for, you know, what you do and what you bring, but your company has embraced you and your skill set and your ability um, to deliver the goods and turn a community into a real community. And that's among the many things that attracted us and why we're so excited to be bringing Advertising Week to Hudson Yards this October coming up. I, I have to say, when we were introduced and you know, I have you know, a special place in my heart for Stephanie Fink, who I've worked with from the Seaport days, um, we, it was the same thing, road to yes, let's figure out how to do it. Let's figure out how to work with them. There's no, like, let's just like, let's figure it out. We're going to figure it out. And we're so honored and so excited. I mean, it's going to be epically amazing. And we, 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 we know that because you're a great partner and, you know, we're going to, we're going to collaborate and and this is going to be one for the books. Yeah. Well, we're, we're really excited. So just to wrap, it's got to be very fulfilling for you to come in in the mornings now and there's people on the plaza, it's buzzing, the buzz builds throughout the day, throughout the weekend. Um, and uh, I want to close by talking about something that is a little off center, but something that I know you know a lot about, that I know you're passionate about, and that's coffee. 
Let's talk about Stacy and coffee. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So, yes. So coffee is the alternative, um, the alternative Stacy Fetter. So I, um, that brief stint I mentioned in Costa Rica that, you know, I lived there um, was fabulous. And I got very obsessed with coffee and all things nature and changing the world and blah, blah, blah. So I was lucky enough uh, when I met my husband, he is, um, you know, he, he was doing good things, but nothing that he was super passionate about. And he ended up, we ended up going, you know, to a lot of Latin American countries because, you know, I, I picked up uh, Spanish along my way here in my life. And so we, he became incredibly enamored with coffee and the coffee roasting process. And he started roasting coffee at home, probably about almost 20 years ago. Um, and, you know, it would smell, you know, it would smell, it's a weirdly coffee roasting smells like popcorn a little bit. So he became incredibly passionate about coffee roasting. And we were lucky enough to be one of the first coffee roasters in uh, the tri-state area. We have a company called Red House Roasters. Um, it is, you know, it is a company that not only, you know, tries to, you know, create incredible coffee for our local community, but we, 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 we definitely connect a lot of farms directly to people who can help them. Everything about it, you know, is sustainably, is sustainably minded. So, you know, the chafe that comes off the coffee, he brings to the local chicken coop. Um, and it, <laughs> it's, you know, it's a real, we have, we have a roast house in Newark, um, which, you know, I think Newark, and I believe in Newark and I believe Newark is, you know, a great, has the potential to be a great urban place, you know, and is coming up. And in some places it really, really is. It's, it's, you know, really interesting place to be. Um, and I get to be there a lot because of him. And so, uh, our whole, our whole thing is, is very much about fueling, um, our local community, working very closely with people here, and then working very closely with people, you know, in farms in Colombia, and you know, we've been we've been around the world, thankfully. So we have a lot of fun, and we care a lot. The worst thing about it is the only way I can get a cup of coffee is from my husband because now my palate is like only the good stuff, you know. And so his coffee is all like ninety points and above, and amazing and yummy, and you know. I, it's just, it's ruined, it's ruined me forever, but you know, it's, it's a super, super fun, super passionate. Um, and, you know, we love, you know, we love being a part of that. Um, and also, you know, he got involved in some things locally during COVID too, to help, you know, fuel some people with good fuel frontline workers with good coffee. So, um, you know, it's been really fun. So if you want the best coffee <laughs> and if you want to come out, Matt, for a cupping, you're more than welcome. I, I yeah. do it. And I'm a big fan of Newark also. I love the Ironbound District. And I think there's a lot of great stuff there. So are you a Curb Your Enthusiasm fan? Oh, yes, of course. So you must have enjoyed the, the Mocha Joe versus Larry's <laughs> Latte line of uh, plot line of the last season. Oh, so good. Is Mocha yeah. Joe right, Stacey? Is it all about the beans? Is Mocha Joe right? It's all about the beans. Actually, it's all about the beans, the elevation, the sun. And so if you ever really want to get me on my on my um, <laughs> a rant, talk to me about climate, because if you go to these farms, right, in these different places, all coffee farms are along the equator, which a lot of people don't realize. And, you know, the 
the, if, <laughs> if the sun is too strong, it kills a lot of the plants. If there's not enough good soil to make shade trees, you can't grow products. So it's actually about like the soil, the elevation, the sun, all these things are contributing and killing you know, a lot of these plants on these farms that we've been to and sort of the trifecta of, you know, rain, all these things coming together, it's real. Like, if you want to see what's happening in our world, go to a coffee farm, you know, and I'm happy to take you on so they can, you know, show like their projection of what's going to happen if we don't take care of this. And so it is about the beans, but it's also about taking care of our world because if we don't, you're not going to have that delicious coffee. It's really like, it's, it's palpable when you go because we've been going to farms for like 15 years, you know, so it's real, it's real stuff when you're in it, you know, and you're climbing the side of the mountain, you're saying like this whole area, we can't farm this area because there's no shade. Um, it's quite, it's wild. It's, so not to, not to dork out, but <laughs> no, listen, we cover, the beans, we've covered a lot of ground from archery wrestling and water polo <laughs> to, to uh, I think this, we just set up a part two episode <laughs> just to go even deeper on coffee. So it's very interesting. I, I, I would love to chat with you more about it. Great. Well, I, I, I think we're going to wrap because of all places I have to uh, finish with you and to come over to Hudson Yards to see you. Um, <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for doing this. It was an absolute joy. And our whole team is very excited to be working with you and Stephanie and your team uh, leading up to the week of October 18th and the first live advertising week anywhere in the world in almost two years so thanks so much it's amazing it's an incredible honor matt thank you so much i i, I remember when you asked me i said oh well great minds do, do i qualify so i appreciate this and and we cannot wait wait to welcome you guys and you know all your partners to collaborate and have a great time at hudson yards it's going to be a great year Thank you.